Gracious Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts um, be always acceptable in your sight. You are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So, what about you? So what about you? What about you? See, this is a rhetorical question. This is the preaching question. This is the question that every preacher is asking implicitly every time he or she gives a sermon. So what about you? So you may not know it, but what's just starting right here, right now, you have a very important part to play in all this. I'm speaking. It's my privilege. You are hearing. Something's happening in between you and me right now in this space, right here. If the Lord should will it, what about you? Painting this picture, the words of God, strangely, it's a one-way dialogue. You hear that? A one-way dialogue. God's coming down. That's one. And yet it's a dialogue. Two. What voice do you have? What word are you going to respond with as the preacher preaches? Because if, if the Lord should will it, the preacher does his or her work, your heart will start to have words. Somewhere the distance between your mind and your heart, all sorts of things will begin to be undone, cut, moved around, a dialogue forms between you and me forming something in this space. So, the question, what about you? So what about you when, when Amy was just reading the readings, particularly the one from Acts? What about you? Where were you? Indifferent? Confused? Really still out there driving, wondering about the rain? Um, what about you? Where were you? Where were you? Where are you even now as I'm talking? The question of the sermon. Because Peter put something right in front of us at the end of his sermon. The first sermon on the day of Pentecost where Peter pulls it together and he puts something very definite right here in this space. He doesn't say, this is a very interesting idea. I just want to run this past y'all, let you kind of consider it for a while, see if you understand it, come back to me, ask any questions. doesn't do anything like that at all. Did you catch the end? He comes and says, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. See what's happening? This space. This Jesus whom you crucified. Who I crucified. Right here. In the action of a sermon. So what about you? This urgent moment that Peter is calling on us. This word that felled 3,000 hearts. Because that was the word, if you caught it, where 3,000 people came to the Lord that day. And how did they do it? By being cut to the heart. And what was the word that cut them to the heart? Know this for certain, that God has made him, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. So what about you? It's very dramatic. 
Here's this drama with Peter Peaching and it's falling on our ear. What about you? What are you bringing into this space? Just like what Brandon asked. Is it pain? Is it confusion? Are you overwhelmed? Fatigued? Meh? What about you? There's a story of somebody else. This made the rounds about two years ago. A man in Charleston, he was a, a, a vet, served in Iraq or Afghanistan, came back, like a lot of our vets have over the past 15 or 20 years, with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, a lot of things can happen when you have PTSD. I think this has been preached here before. It, did. it made the rounds, made a lot of the news outlets, but it's a great story. Um, uh, came back, a lot of things would happen with PTSD. One of the things that can happen is you end up just not being able to leave your house. You have something like agoraphobia, which is a big fancy word that means a fear of open places or a fear of being around people. And it starts to really bleed in on a cycle where you start to be afraid of being afraid. And you isolate yourself and you get closed off and sequestered. And that was this man's condition. Post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, Afraid to leave, afraid to be afraid. He could barely get by in the middle of the day. Well, he made his way to a therapist, a good therapist, it sounds like. The therapist did what the therapist should have done, something called exposure therapy, which just means you expose somebody to what they're afraid of just in very, very, very small increments. So even coming to an office like that would have been something to really sort of spend some time with. Sort of say, this is really good, you're doing this, and you give them a few other exercises. Like, why don't you just walk to your mailbox at 5 o'clock in the afternoon when lots of people are going by? Oh, I don't know if I could do that. Okay, then why don't you walk to your window and look out while lots of people are going by? Oh, I can do that. And so you gradually build it up, and then you go uh, not just out to your mailbox, but down the street. You might walk past Walmart but not go in then when you're comfortable there. You might go into Walmart and just walk around and not actually buy anything. You get the drift. He's making all these great strides until we'll hold that thought and we'll come back to him at the end of the, uh, a little bit later. Because I still want to ask about you. So what about you? Even when I was telling the story of this man who was afraid of being afraid, what happened? And that distance between the mind and the heart. Well, let's think also about Peter. Great Peter, who I think we sometimes sell short. Well, though surely he was a man who spoke first and thought second, who was quick to act and slow to sort of think things through. But it's too easy to think of Peter as just, oh, good old Peter, you know, bumbling oaf Peter, fisherman Peter and all that stuff. Peter, the one preaching here with such conviction who calls the question with great certitude, what about you? Because know this for certain. Jesus, whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. That's Peter. It's Peter. The one who saw the Lord, Mount of Transfiguration, standing there with Elijah and Moses. The one who was the first to see the Lord for who he really was. Who do you say that I am, Peter? You are the Christ of God, the chosen one, the anointed one who's coming to save us from our sins. That's right. And then in a breath later, Christ calls him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. It's Peter, the Last Supper, who comes in. You know, wonderful Peter. Christ says, I need to wash your hands. I need to wash your hands before you can, can come to me. You need to be clean. He says, Lord, 
You'll not wash my hands. You won't wash my feet. I'll wash yours. Peter, if I don't wash you, you'll have no part of me. Peter, well then wash everything. Give me a whole shower. Just put it all on me. All the way over. Peter. Oh, strong Peter. Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll die before I deny you. Any minute. Peter, a man of real courage. Did you catch what he did in Luke? Peter, in a strange passage, the Lord commands him to get a sword. And he did it. And he took the sword on the night when Jesus was betrayed. It had been a small sword and he stuck it up his sleeve. Do y'all remember this part of the story? It's one we don't think about very much. This is an amazing story about Peter. Stuck the sword, hid it up his sleeve, and walks out. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He knows something's up. The Lord's acting funny. And they're walking. And then sure enough, a group with lanterns and torches, and it's an armed group from the temple with the chief priests and the scribes. Luke's very specific. The same one who wrote Acts. And he goes out. And Peter, remember what he said? Lord, I'll die before I deny you. Did you catch what Peter did? Do you remember this? Peter, a fisherman, takes the sword, reveals it on a certain suicide mission. He must have closed his eyes. What else would he do with his heart beating in his throat? And he raised his sword, and he knew he was going to die. He must have known it. These were professional soldiers. He didn't have a clue what he was doing. And he brought the sword down, intending to cut the first person, the first thing that the sword would touch. And he brings it down upon a man named Malchus. Malchus, the servant of the high priest that year. And it was just this to Malchus, just to kind of move like that. And the sword didn't catch his head, caught his ear, and cut it off. Well, Peter, what must he have thought? Well, now we must have the game on. I'm still alive. The Lord's going to come. This is what he was waiting for, right? He told me to get this sword. What did the Lord do? He came up and said, Peter, enough of this. And he takes his hand and he cups Malchus's ear. And he heals him. <coughs> Peter. And then Judas comes up kisses Jesus on the lips. Jesus is led off. And Peter, the highs of the highs and the lows of the lows, follows slowly, totally up and down, along with the teenager John. And they follow the Lord at a distance. Peter has no idea what's going on. He mustered all of his courage. And he goes out to do what the Lord wanted him to do. And the Lord said, No not with a sword. And he healed the man, and he's taken away, bound, and he's begun to be beaten with the crown placed upon his head, spit upon, kicked, punched, scourged. Peter and John are in the courtyard, just about from here, probably to the back of the church. And then a little girl, a little girl comes up. Remember Jesus said, you're going to deny me. Peter said, no, I won't. Yes, you will. I won't, Lord. I'll die before I deny you. Peter, the cock is going to crow three times. And now between here and there, what happened? A little girl 
comes up and says, You were with him. You were with that man. I was not. Yes, you were. Your accent gives it away. I can tell. You were with him. I was not. I don't know the man. No, you were. That was my cousin. I was related to the one whose ear got cut off. You were there. I tell you, I don't know him. And then Luke. Some of the saddest words in the Bible. He gives this description. Let me get it. From here to there, remember? Luke alone says this, and immediately, while Peter was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. What was the Lord's face when it turned and looked at Peter? There's a few pictures that I've seen in the art about this, and they're all wrong. It's Jesus, still in charge, still clean. Maybe he's got a crown on his head. He would have been blue and black with mucus, maybe some missing teeth and spit, not his own. He would have been well worked over at this point. And with the swollen eye, He looks up and he catches Peter's eye. What about you? How do you deal with this story, this picture that's forming right here? Peter was cut to the heart, just like the people on Pentecost. What about you? Remember, that's the question every sermon you should be asking. What about me? Maybe you're starting to imagine the bloody face of Jesus looking on you. This one whom you crucified, whom God has made both Lord and Christ. Who killed Jesus? We need to say this. It wasn't the Jews. It wasn't the Romans. We'll read about that sometimes. Never buy it. It was you and it was me. What about you? We're starting to reckon with the fact. This one that we crucified. If you're going forward and being honest, you might even start to reckon with the fact, you know what, in an hour or two, I'll be back in my house doing what I always do, and I'll live like I couldn't care less. This he did for me, and I couldn't care less. They heard and were cut to the heart. What about you? One more story, this time from the 13th century, a Welsh legend, a legend that comes from Wales. There was a lord, a prince named Gellert, who had a great and magnificent hound, a dog, probably a mastiff or something like that. Think huge hunting hound, a gift from the king. He was the prince. And one day Gellert, I'm sorry, one day Llewellyn went out to hunt, surprisingly without his dog. That was the whole point of having him. Uh... Coming back from the hunt, his dog, Gellert, who loved him, bound out happily to meet Llewellyn. He started to scratch his head, and he noticed that his dog was smeared and covered with blood. Llewellyn starts to put two and two together. He runs into the house to see his infant son, the heir to the throne. He realizes his crib is empty. He puts one and one together. 
looks at his dog covered in blood, realizes the crib is empty with blood all over the sheets, all over the floor, in a fit of rage. What else could he have done? He took out his sword and he fell upon the dog that he loved and he killed it. He killed Gellert. And then the dog's crying yelps, his last utterances. It was met with the cry of a baby. Gellert goes into the next room, and sure enough, there's his son, unharmed, laying next to a magnificent wolf, great even in death, as the legend writes it. And Gellert saw what he had done. He had killed the dog, which had saved his son from a wolf, a great wolf, great even in death. Gellert, overcome with grief, was said never to smile again from that day forward. What about you? I mean, there's some emotion in the room, even just about that. It's a story about a dog that probably didn't even exist. It's a legend. And it still pulls it right out. And yet, what about you? This bloodied face of Jesus, which looked upon Peter. Oh, Peter. Cut to the heart. You? There's a word in Zechariah, surely it speaks to us, where it says, When they look upon me, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn. Whether Peter goes in trying to cut Malchus in two, and then being cut to the heart himself, or with Llewellyn realizing what he had done, being cut to the heart when he recognized it, he killed the salvation of his family. What about you? Cut to the heart? I hope so. I do. I hope so. Friends, you should also be asking, what is this? This is good news? I feel awful. Cut to the heart for this? Well, think of it as a first cutting. Because I hope in between you and me, in this word called a sermon, which is a one-way dialogue where something begins to form a picture between you and I, that we see Christ and him crucified right here. And as we gaze upon his beaten and bloodied face, we do. We're cut to the heart with an awareness of who we are, with the stink and stench of our sin. My God, I killed you. It was my sin. It wasn't the Jews. It wasn't the Romans. It was me. I crucified you. Peter was right. This man whom you crucified. And yet, I also hope you hear the word that says, that is not all. For here in between us, this cross, which now stands in us, doesn't only say, here, look upon him and see the stench of your sin. It also says, here, look upon this cross and see the magnificent love of God. Here, look upon this cross, which if you reckon the truth and you realize in an hour, I'm going to walk away and I'm going to say, God, all that you did for me, and I couldn't care less. My life is evidence for the fact that I live as if you don't even exist. Friends, look upon the cross and hear the word, the second cutting of a great and magnificent love that says, you may not care less 
But I care so much more than you could ever ask, imagine, or dream. When you gaze upon this ugly, ugly cross, see the wonder of God's love for you. What about you? Cut to the heart. As Peter preached, this man whom you crucified? Yeah. And God has made him your Lord and your Christ. The one who was sent for you. The one who came to you so that you would have the very thing which there was no way that you could ever get. Let's go back to Charleston. Remember that guy? PTSD? You almost forgot about him, didn't you? So he makes it to Walmart. He's walking around. He's doing pretty well. Final exam. Therapist lines him up and says, All right, let's do this. I want you to go to the Birmingham Barons game. It's the Charleston River Dogs. Go to the go to the River Dogs game. Go to the minor league baseball. I don't know if I can do that. You can do this. I want you to go. They talked it through. He goes. He sits, third base line, has a seat, has some popcorn. Start, this is pretty good. And then anxiety starts to set in. He recognizes the clouds are rolling in. The light's getting a little bit funky. And he's not wrong. Pretty soon, pretty soon everybody else is starting to get a little bit nervous. And just what you think is going to happen, it starts to rain. And then it rains harder. And then it is a deluge. I mean, it is an absolute downpour. What does everybody else do? They hightail it up for the cover, the pavilion behind them. You know, 4,000 people squeezed into a place that seats that, that maybe holds a thousand comfortably, packed in like sardines. And everybody starts to look out and they see that man sitting in the rain, just getting soaked, just sitting in the rain. And then the remarkable thing happens. Somebody walks down, pushes through the crowd, goes down the steps, goes and sits next to the man. They even put his arm on his shoulder. He says, what's going on? What's going on about you? That man was Bill Murray, the actor, who's a part owner of the Birmingham, of the, uh, the Charleston River Dogs. The guy's like, you're Bill Murray. That's what's going on. I'm, I'm, I'm PTSD. I'm scared. I don't know what's going on. But you're, said, it must be in a hard way if you wouldn't go up there. Next time, I want you to come and sit with me. What about you? I don't have a clue what happened to that man. I don't care. I care about you. What about you right now? The first cutting, looking at the bloodied face of Jesus, looking at you, just like it did Peter, looking at all your unfaithfulness to him. What about you? As you gaze upon that wondrous cross, and you think, my God, what wondrous love is this? That you would die for me. Uh, amazing love. How can that be? What about you? Cut to the heart. I hope so. We break the law of God. The law has no feelings. It really doesn't care. It's like a... a movie The Fugitive, Tommy Lee Jones. I didn't do it. I don't care. <laughs> That's the law's word. I don't care. I'm not a person. I don't have feelings. 
Gellert killed his dog. No, Llewellyn killed his dog, Gellert. Dog couldn't forgive him. Dog is dead. Jesus Christ, who died and who was buried, and three days later rose, the person can forgive you. The law can't forgive you. A dead dog cannot forgive you. The risen Lord Jesus Christ, he does forgive you. Come unto him, all of us who are weary and heavy laden. Come to him. Repent. See things as they actually are. Gaze upon his wondrous cross and see not only the stink and the filth and the stench of your sin, but more than that, please, more than that, see the incredible, immeasurable, infinite love that he would go to any length for you. So what about you? 3,000 were added that day. What about you? What about you? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.